category design didn't really land until we wrote the book. You know, I've been doing this for 25 years by the time we wrote the book. And I would say my batting average was probably 200 in terms of getting people to get what it was, why it mattered, the meaningful, unfair, competitive. It's like knowing it's like having a superpower the other side doesn't even understand. And when you know how to execute that superpower, you can really make billions and billions and billions of dollars happen in a sustainable, enduring way. This is Unstructured. Today's guest is Christopher Lockhead. Now, Christopher is a three-time chief marketing officer out of Silicon Valley. One thing Chris is famous for, though, is he tends to swear sometimes. So I put an explicit tag on the show. I made the decision to let him swear and just go with it because when he swears... He's loose, he's free, and he's a very passionate person. I wanted to capture that passion and share it with you. So without further ado, I bring you Christopher Lockett. Thank you for pressing play. I just cribbed that from my current guest, Christopher Lockett. I am super excited to get him on today because he's one of those individuals that as I research, he keeps growing and growing in my esteem versus like, okay, yeah, he did this. He did that. But honestly, Chris, you wrote the best business book I've ever read. Play bigger. Wow. Wow, man, Eric, that's really awesome of you to say. And look, let me tell you, you know, I poured 30 part, 30 years of my life into those 20, 270 pages and the whole time, not knowing whether it would make a difference. And so the fact that you feel that way, I'm so stoked to hear that. And I really, really deeply appreciate you telling me that, man. When I love, and you kind of wrapped up the book, and I love how meta the book itself was, that you learned how to create a category book on creating categories. So it just went into this complete spiral. (laughs) And I think that possibly represents your mind. Yeah, very very much so. It's funny how dots connect and dots connect and dots connect. And all all of a sudden, all these dots connect and then explode. And and, and you you have sort of a a new universal view of something. Um, And it was a a little bit like that. I mean, in a book about trying to help people understand and and then be able to go out and design their own category to create, you know, what I think is an unfair competitive advantage. What we realized we were doing was in order to do that, we sort of had to create a new category a book. <laughs> and, and so in a book about category design, we were doing category design. And, <laughs> and so it's, yeah, I guess you got to read it to understand it, but it's a little, uh, it's a little hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy ish. It's really good. And it's a really difficult subject. And that's why I find the the book so valuable because you managed to really, you know, sum it down in the one thing, as, as you put it, um, don't be better, be different. Yeah. Okay. Next. I mean, you literally can sum up the entire book in four words. Yes. Or yes. more words than that, but 
Math isn't my high skill either. Be- better not. <laughs> better not different. That's three words. <laughs> okay, there we go. Or excuse me, um, different not better. Maybe if I got it the right the right way around. <laughs> Well, the other one, some guy said to me, so are you saying that different is better than better? And I was like, um, I don't know, but you just said better twice. And I really want to get focused on different. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I actually have it written down, be different, not better. So it is four words. Now, I love how you described this. Can we go over that just for a second? Um, better. You've stated before, that means that you're playing in somebody else's category. Yeah. Better by definition, Eric, is a comparison game. The minute I say my product, my service, or me as an individual is better than X, what's present is X. As a matter of fact, here, I'll tell you one that's driving me crazy right now. Have you seen the new Pepsi ads with, um, what was the guy, the American, the guy who was the lead in the American version of The Office? What's his name again? He was on the Daily Show. Steve Carell. Steve Carell. So Steve Carell is doing these fucking Pepsi ads right now. And the entire ad campaign is telling you and I to drink Coke. And here's what happens. Here's the first ad I saw. It's in a diner. And you you hear this, uh, I can't even remember if it's a waiter or waitress, but person say, uh, t- is taking an order from a customer in the diner. And the, and the, the waiter or waitress says, um, we don't have Coke, we have Pepsi. Is that okay? And then Steve Carell is in the seat on the other side of the diner and flips around, turns around and says, is that okay? And then he goes off about how awesome Pepsi is. And I thought mm. to myself, those dumb fucking morons, they're still doing <laughs> it. They are still playing a comparison game against Coke. They're more than 50 years into doing this. And when they spend billions of dollars doing this, what we, when I say to you, hey, um, Eric, you know, four out of five people say uh, Pepsi tastes better than Coke. What brand is in your mind? Coke. Coke, right. So they're doing it again. They're doing it all over again. It's, 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 it's a modern version of the Pepsi challenge. They're absolutely fucking idiots. And all they're doing is by continuously comparing themselves to Coke. It's, it's, a, it's the same thing. Remember when Nixon said, I am not a crook? Right. What do we all hear? Oh, shit. The president's a crook, right? And so when you play that comparison game, the thing that you're comparing yourself to is the thing that people remember. And this is the competition trap that people fall into in their careers and in their businesses. And when you unpack what legendary people and legendary companies do, they want everything to be compared to them and they do not want to be compared to anyone. And so that's this whole notion of being in, being able to niche down, being able to design your own category. But we, the reason we know Picasso is he didn't play a better game. As a matter of fact, when people first looked at his stuff, they said, hey, what is this? The work of a mentally challenged alcoholic six-year-old? <laughs> and he said, no, it's a new category of art called cubism. And so the question for all of us is, who do you want to be? the first cubist artist or the 437th and every other, and there's lots of other cubist artists. We can't name one of them. And the reason we can't is because we know who the original is, or as we say today, the OG. And so (laughs) do you want to be the OG or do you want to be another poser? And it turns out there's good business reason for designing your own category. Never mind the personal reason of look, who wants to do incremental shit in their life? 
right? If you want to do incremental shit in your life, I don't know, maybe there's a government agency you should go work for. I don't know what you should go to. But the people that I know that I admire the most are trying to do something exponential. And so the challenge for all of us is, are we going to succumb to playing a game called the incremental better, or are we going to summon the courage to play the game called the exponential different? And if you look at every person, every company, every brand that you admire and respect, whether they're a musical artist or uh, you know an entrepreneur or a politician, if there's any politicians we admire anymore, <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> they're people who broke and took new ground. They are, they are people who are unique. And so this, this pull to the incrementalism, this pull to stupid competition um, is really the wake up call. And then of course we can get a Jackson Pollock and still wonder. (laughs) Yeah, no, but see exactly the same thing. Jackson Pollock is Picasso in terms of breaking and taking new ground. Now, yeah, I look at it and go, shit, I wish I had thought of that. I probably could have done that. <laughs> exactly. I don't think I could have done the Mona Lisa, but I could probably have given that Jackson Pollock shit a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or a thousand other retarded things. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're, we're taking this a little far now, guys. Um, <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. Um, That's okay. It happens in conversation with me all the time. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, what I want to circle back real quickly. And you pointed out the, um, if you talk about Coke in any way, you're bringing it up into mind. It's actually a psychological principle. I've been, I've talked to a lot of guys who do influence mind control stuff, manipulation. And that's sort of ironic because if I tell you don't spill the milk, as you cross the room, then you'll, your mind will be picturing spilling the milk and I may cause the effect that I'm trying to prevent. Yes. Yes. If, you know, I'm, I'm a surfer and if when you're getting ready to pop up on a challenging wave, um, if you say to yourself, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, <laughs> exactly, you're probably going to fall. Right. Um, but if you say to yourself, make the wave, make the wave, make the wave, make the wave, you're probably going to make the wave. So I wonder if, why we are so blinded by that and why we keep patterning the same behaviors. It's, I, I think I know. And, and I say this like a, uh, an opportunity to have a conversation, not like the end of a uh, conversation. Oh, sure. Um, I think it goes back to some primordial needs that you and I have as human beings. And so I think it's very simple, right? We are, by definition, flock animals, pack animals, right? Mm. Because um, if there's 10 of us and we're all clustered together, then there's safety in numbers and none of us look like the likely target for the, for the bear, right? But if there's True. eight of us over here and two of us over there, uh, the two that are on their own are prime targets for the bear. <laughs> and so- there's something primordial in human beings where we are made more comfortable when we feel like we're like each other. And I think it's a basic survival instinct. And I also think it's probably a relationship instinct. Um, it, we want to find something we can relate to. 
so that we can have a relationship, right? So if we are more like each other, you know, when you ever run into somebody who went, you know, grew up in the same town you grew up in or went to the same school or. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, or, you know, like if you like some esoteric band and they're wearing a t-shirt of that band, you go, Oh, I love that. But, you know, whatever it is, we find these, mm-hmm. you know, things to connect with each other on. And so I think as human beings, we, there's comfort in being like each other and there's literal safety in it at a primordial level. And so unfortunately what that has meant is that um, we want to fit in, not stand out. That makes sense. That's kind of like the um, old saw of you'll never get fired for buying IBM. Yeah. And if you talk to most people with regular jobs and you ask them, and I say most people, what they're really doing at work is A, not getting fired, and B, hopefully trying to do a good job and contribute and all that. But job number one is don't get fucking fired, right? (laughs) It's a good rule. (laughs) Well, and it's funny. It it was never true for me. And I was probably in my late 20s, maybe even early 30s before I realized like that most people had this humongous fear of getting fired. And I, you know, I've been fired a bunch and I was never afraid to get, I'm not saying I liked it, but um, I was not gonna. I was not gonna hold myself back in fear of getting fired, even if that meant having a fight in front of a whole bunch of people with the CEO, which <laughs> I have done. Nice. Uh, well, you've also had quite the uh, spread of jobs. I mean, what was your first uh, employment opportunity? Well, my first employment opportunity was at about ten years old, delivering newspapers. Okay. And then uh, after that, I was an orderly. So I would wheel you wheel wheel you down to the uh, you know surgery, or I'd show show up at your <laughs> show up at your bedside and say, uh, "Mr. Hunley, uh, my name's Christopher, and I'm here to shave your nuts." <laughs> <laughs> and you would have my attention. Yes, it's amazing um, how important a person you become in a guy's life when you are going to conduct this. And you know, being 17 years old at the time, like I can't imagine they let it. Imagine today. 17 year old having letting letting the average 17 year old dude in this country shave your groin area probably not a good idea it, uh, i mean get ageist and reversed but um with the current crop yeah it's probably not <laughs> <laughs> i mean you and i are i'm surprised i think we're only two years apart in age yeah i was born in 68 so i'm 50 okay I'm, i was born in 70 and I mean, we're the latchkey kids, the Xers, yes, we are. and we're kind of the last of the, quote, free-range kids. So at 17, you had already seen a whole lot more life and probably been in a whole lot more trouble and made more stupid decisions than uh, a tribe of kids now. Yeah, I, w- I mean, just the kids in my life, uh, in terms of range of experience, by the time I was 18, yeah, I was probably more like a 30-year-old today would be, I would guess. Now, that brings me to another point. You kind of um, took a path outside of the normal education system. Yeah. And because you're dyslexic, and I think you've said, um, what is what do you say, f- um, fuck-lexic or something? Or? Yeah, dysfuckia. Because I, <laughs> I have a bunch of these things. So I just I put them all together in a big box called dysfuckia. What I think is funny, and I've had somebody on um, – Kevin Roberts, he um, is a expert on ADHD, and as he puts it, dyslexia is kind of a cousin. They're not the same, but they're yeah. they are 
are often related and often people who are dyslexic are also ADHD, et cetera. And I've had Mark Bowden on, who's a world-renowned body language guy, and he's a full-on dyslexic. Mm. And I managed to embarrass myself a little bit with him because I was like, he said, I can't tell left from right. And I'm like, well, you know, you hold you up your left hand. He goes, wow, I'm 50-something years old. You think, all this time, nobody told me to hold up my left hand? <laughs> he said, now how would I know which one it is? <laughs> the only reason I know um, is it's the um, it's the uh, arm with my watch on it. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So do you use that then? Yeah, I, well, I love watches, um, but uh, I, 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 I'm used to wearing a watch almost all the time, uh, unless I'm, you know, training or, or surfing or something like that. But generally, I have a watch on. I wanted to ask you about watches, actually. Um, you seem to be a watch guy because you brought up a couple, like, high-dollar watches or, or nice ones. What do you think about the Apple Watch and what is happening in the industry? Um, so listen, I, I applaud them for the innovation. I think it's a cool thing. It's, um, when they first came out, they did a really shitty job of category design. That is to say, they did not, in my opinion, make a case for a compelling, uh, problem or use case that was unique. And, uh, it, it, if, if you remember, it stalled for quite a while when it came out. But sure. I take, I take my hat off to Apple. They stayed with it. They kept innovating with it. And look, I think if you want to get one, have at it. I think they're very cool. I want nothing to do with it, but that's just a personal preference for me. I want less devices in my life. I recently took, um, with the exception of Instagram, which is sort of phone-based, you can't really use Instagram with your browser. I took all social media off my phone. Um, Hmm. So I I just, I don't want, we, we have so much of it. And look, I generally love it. And Silicon Valley has been, you know, my playground for the better part of 30 years. And I love the tech industry. And, and so, but it's become so oh, all encompassing. Uh, you know, I live in one of the most beautiful places in, in the United States of America. And it's like, you know, sometimes I don't make it to, to the beach. I'm like what? I didn't go to the beach today. That's mental. And so um, I just find it's healthy to mm you know, put some roadblocks in, in your own way so that you're more intentional about using the technology. You don't just find yourself bored in line at the grocery store and start, you know, checking your Twitter or whatever. Do you like how Apple's um, starting to track screen time for you to kind of give you a nudge that way? Yeah, I think, I think that's cool. You know, I do, I do the sort of uh, kid that read 1984 gets more and more creeped out all the time. Uh, and so <laughs> in your company, it should be. <laughs> and so, you know, I think the Apple watch just gives them more and more and more. I read an article uh, recently, Eric, about that. There's so many people using 23 and me and um, ancestry.com that I think it's by 2020. If I remember right, forgive me if I'm hazy, but it's, it's not that far in the future. Even if you don't give them, your uh your genome they're gonna essentially have it anyway (laughs) yeah the golden state killer that's how they um nabbed him yeah of course was they track down uh like a second cousin or something something like that yeah you start measuring it out and these are actually really good questions and i didn't even think i'd go down this path but i like that um privacy concerns like i looked at the golden state killer thing and I'm like, oh, yay, this is awesome. You get a killer off the street. But then there's another part of me saying, hmm, 
What about the people who donate their DNA to find out about their health, et cetera? Yeah. And now I just come to them and I say, hey, who are your second cousins? Right. Or I go to the company and I say, hey, who's this guy? Because this or you know, this DNA matches somebody else. Well, the person that they're seeking didn't commit the crime. Or even worse, what happens when all this data starts getting sold, which is, uh, I think, what the ultimate evil plan is. Or stolen. And so now, uh, you, you know, you are related to seven people who had skin cancer. And so now you can't get health care coverage for skin cancer, right? Yes. I worry about that. I worry about loyalty cards. They probably will look at my beer purchases and say, you know what? We got a problem. Exactly. <laughs> I think you've been drinking a little too much, Eric. Yeah, no, no, for sure. There's a there's a downside to this stuff. And uh, I think what's happening in Europe with GDPR is a great step forward. I am generally fairly libertarian about things. I'm a social libertarian, which I guess is maybe an oxymoron. But in general, I'm not a huge fan of a ton of regulation. But I think there's got to be a penalty. You know, we just had this huge Apple breach, right, mm. with FaceTime. There's no penalty for Apple. There's no, there's no, there's no ramification, you know, Equifax. I never even did business with that company. And many, many uh, hundreds of thousands of people who were affected by that had never even done business with them and were compromised because of it. And what's the ramification for that? And so I think we are ultimately going to need to get to a place in the U.S. and frankly, worldwide, where um, there is a digital set of rights. And the first digital right is, I own my fucking data. And if you want to do shit with my data, you need my permission and or you need to compensate me. But, you know, when we find out that Facebook is giving messaging data between you and I to Google and to Netflix and all this stuff as part of their license, you know, mega deals with them as a Scooby snack for doing business with Google and we don't, we, we find uh, as a Scooby snack for doing business with Facebook, excuse me. And we find that shit out after the fact, come on. There's, and again, there's no ramification for Facebook. So I think we're going to need to get to a place where we say, listen, we own our data and, and what happens if you're going to do anything with our data, you need written permission from us. And, and in some cases you need to compensate us. Yeah. And we should be able to disappear. I mean, I, I'm sure you and I both are really glad that there weren't cell phones with video cameras following us around as a teenager. <laughs> it reminds me, do you know the comedian Tom Papa, Eric? Yeah, I'm, I've, I've heard of him. I haven't watched much, but he's uh, he's hysterical. He's got a bunch of, a bunch out on Netflix. He's um he's a good buddy of Jerry Seinfeld's, and um and. He has a whole bit about this, and I, I won't redo the bit because it'll be cheesy of me, but the bit essentially is, you know, I would have been a lot nicer to a lot of those kids uh, <laughs> uh, in, in, in elementary and high school if I knew they were going to show back up 30 years later on Facebook. And then he sort of mimics a Facebook chat with this guy like, oh, hi, Jimmy. You know, sorry we left you in the woods that day. Hope life turned out okay. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> You know, wow. and so it is kind of a bizarre thing to like have all of your past high school and elementary school friends just boomerang into your life. <laughs> and so, 
yeah, I think it would have been different. For sure, it would have been different. It, it's got to be weird for, you know, if you're a child born today, we just had a, a niece uh, born into our family. Her birth is ca- actually not even her birth. Her her mother's pregnancy is, is chronicled on Facebook. So her entire mm-hmm. life will be on Facebook. Yep. Um, you've heard of the comedian Norm MacDonald. Oh. Yeah, of course. A good Canadian. <laughs> of course. Didn't even think of that. Yeah, I saw him back in the day, as we say. Ah, he has a joke about how his grandfather, there's a picture of his grandfather with a pig. And that's the only picture of his grandfather out there. (laughs) But now a kid is born. Now you'll show these are my 670,420 pictures. of them. Yeah. Yeah. And and even worse, the kid's self-esteem will be a function of the likes they got on them. Actually, that's, Oh God, that's a huge psychological problem, especially with young women. Um, they're really starting to come out on this and say, hey, teenagers should not be on Facebook at all, especially young women, because that's like weaponized bullying amongst women. Well, I think that's probably true, but I think it's eating into the entrepreneur world. You've talked about the um, death of entrepreneurship a bit, and I was wondering if you could almost see an analog to the crime rate. That's an interesting point. All we hear is hustle, hustle, hustle and Gary V and all that. And so we think, Oh, there's entrepreneurs everywhere, but in reality it's shrinking. Well, all we see all the time is there's crime, 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 crime. But if you actually look at the numbers, it's been dropping like a rock since 93. It's the safest, it's the safest time in American history. Uh, Yeah. You know, that's an interesting um, connection to make. I, not one that I had thought through. What I do know is according to the Brookings Institute, we're essentially at the lowest rate of entrepreneurship in American history, pretty much. Now, there's there's some interesting questions on that. Like, I'm kind of libertarian myself, and I believe in the free market will correct things. But I'm starting to step back a little bit and wonder. And But we don't have a free market. That's the problem. So if you read the Brookings Report, The Brookings report makes it very, very clear as to reasons why entrepreneurship is on the decline. Uh, One of them is the cost of education. One of them is the cost of health care. If you talk to any small business owner and ask them what's happened to the cost of health care in the last decade or so, it's crushing them. The other thing is because my health care is tied to my employment Mm -hmm. and health care is so fucking expensive, I can't take the risk of being an entrepreneur and not having health care. That's a big yeah. problem. And you know what the other big problem is, Eric? And this is not this is not my opinion. This is the Brookings Institute research. And I can send you a link to the report if you like. It came out in oh, please do. Uh, June or July of uh, last summer. I'll put it in the show notes. The other one is state governments. State government laws and taxes advantage the big and are crushing mm. to the small. Here's a, the great example that. is these, this Amazon headquarters bullshit that went on for the better part of a year with almost every city in the country doing anything to beg and plead and tax breaks and tax breaks and helipads and all this shit for the wealthiest man on planet earth running one of the wealthiest companies on planet earth. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to do anything, massive tax breaks and incentives to get this company for the jobs it's supposedly going to create. Meanwhile, taxes and regulations and other barriers put in place by uh, various expenses, reporting, have increased for small business, licensing. All that shit's gone up for small business. All of it. Mm -hmm. And 
guess where all the job growth is? Almost all of it is small and new businesses. Oh, yeah. Guess where all the innovation growth is as measured by percentage of new patents? The vast majority is new and small businesses. It's not GE. It's not GM. It's not fucking Walmart. It's not. With all due respect to those companies, it's small entrepreneurs and startup entrepreneurs. That's where the innovation guys and in that's the where job growth comes from. And because we don't have a, a, sing, we, a singular voice, we can't lobby as one effectively the way Amazon can lobby. Mm-hmm. We get fucked. And that's that's exactly what's happened. And the, look, the folks at Brookings put it more nicely than that. Okay, <laughs> but that's what the that's what the facts say in the report as to causes for the mass decline in uh, entrepreneurship in our country. There's also, um, like I said, I'm kind of libertarian on this. So I normally would be against it, but there's an anti-competitive nature going on, especially with like Amazon and S3 and it has scaled to the point that it can read traffic on all the businesses on S3 and pick up its acquisition targets. Yeah. Well, there's the rigging of the internet. The rigging of the internet is not cool. Um, we need a lot more transparency from the big companies. Uh, we've got to have net neutrality back again, universally across the country. You know, there's just some shit in there that disadvantages the little guy. The amazing thing about the internet is Eric can start a media company with his MacBook mm-hmm. and a cool Sure microphone and, you know, some awesome software. Oh, and thank you. Thank you for the cloud, Jesus. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so by, and, and this was not possible before. I mean, it was not very long ago, a decade ago to do this. You had to be fucking... NBC or CBS or Fox or like sure. you had to spend giant amounts of money. You had to go buy a fucking radio station. Right. Mm-hmm. And now there are podcasts that get 10 million downloads an episode. Rogan. He gets yeah. That's radical. More. Yeah. Maybe even more. I don't know. Well, between his YouTube and podcast, he is bigger than network television. Yeah, probably. And he, you know, he smokes pot and talks about fights and, you know, whether or not their <laughs> UFOs have been here and shit. I don't know. It's crazy. Three hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But nobody's got time to listen to anything anymore. And, you know, the other the other flip side is uh, we had Dan McGinn on my podcast. He's one of the senior editors at the Harvard Business Review. Well, guess what? HBR has never been doing better than it is right now. And it's leveraging the hmm. different platforms. It's got unbelievable content. It still has print content. You know, you still, I love to, you know, to pick up, pick up the HBR in the airport and read that shit on the plane and get some, you know, still such, such amazing thinking. It's the standard of thinking, right? And so, hmm. um, and so whether it's, you know, Rogan doing his, his, his psychedelic thing or, you know, incredibly substantive business conversations and, 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 and thinking in the HBR that, that shit's taken off in an era of, you know, and then there's, you know, buffoons like Grant Cardone and Gary V and Ty Lopez and these other sort of entrepreneurial porn stars, right? But whatever it is, none of this 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 mm-hmm. explosion of um, you know I think of it as a niche NATO is happening in media, and that's also happening in major industries. No, and speaking of which, you've kind of pivoted out of an illustrious career into becoming an author and podcaster, and 
I'm wondering your motivation behind that. I mean, why a podcast? I think it's probably because I'm nuts. Uh, <laughs> here's so here's the here's the funniest part about this. So first of all, it's been 99% a joy and the that there's two parts to the joy and one I sort of expected or was hoping for and the other one is completely unexpected. So the first one is a couple times a week I get to talk to four-star general Stanley McChrystal <laughs> or mm-hmm. you know NBA legend that. Bill Walton or maybe somebody that you might have not heard of but who's done something in- incredible like is the foremost expert on elephants in the world and you know she figured out that elephants communicate through the ground and we talk about that right and and you know hmm. my podcast has been described as the biggest uh, po- uh, the biggest um, box full of chocolates on the internet right and of course lots of entrepreneurs <laughs> and of course lots of marketing and of course lots of venture capitalists and but you know it's a pretty broad broad range of conversations uh you know for valentines we did one on kind of love and marriage with uh, brandy and lance salazar who wrote um the miracle morning for couples with hal elrod and then we had uh you know intimacy and sex expert alana pratt on and we talked about intimacy and sex <laughs> so it's sort of not your grandparents you know business podcast um and so long story longer the first part was an excuse to have conversations that I would just die to have anyway. And chances are, you know, four-star general Stanley McChrystal's not going to talk to me just cause. <laughs> so the fact that I have this podcast means he will. Right. So, so, and I've just learned so much more. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm somebody who learns through uh, audio and visual communication more than reading. So that's been unbelievable. Here's the part I didn't know, Eric. Um, I didn't realize that sort of the opportunity to um, communicate and engage and interact with our listeners, I didn't know that would be so fun. I knew I would have to do it. And to be candid, I was sort of thinking, oh, fuck, it's going to be like a Mm -hmm. chore. And with very few exceptions, there's always some weird shit on the margin. But the vast majority of the interactions I have with readers and listeners are fucking fantastic. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, I do this to have fun and make a difference. And so in those interactions, um, developing real relationships, you know, it's changed the way I do the podcast because I know so many of the people who are listening. How do you go about researching your guests, at least the ones you don't know already? I'll go back through their history and, um, if they have a TED talk and if they've been on other podcasts, I'll listen to, uh, at least one, if not two. Now I want to, the, the thing that I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm sure you're uh, similar is everybody, myself included, um, you know, you have your, your canned, uh, stories that you like to tell. Sure. Um, and, and if people ask you similar questions, it, it's hard to answer. I try to answer them in somewhat different ways, but if you say to me, well, you know, how did you start your first business? I've been asked that question more times than I can ever imagine. And so I'm just going to give you my answer. Right. Um, and so what I try to do is, is break out of that both for myself and, and in particular when people are on my podcast so that we're not having the standard conversation. (laughs) Right. And you've been in a band before too. So I, 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 there's a definite parallel that, Everybody wants to hear the hits at the same time. So you yeah, sure. Have to balance it out where 
you're kind of getting tired of telling the same story over and over. And at the same time, you know that, well, this story is what brought you to this game. Yes. And there's certain, and, and some of the stories got to be the stories because it took fucking 10 years to figure out how to communicate this in a way that it really landed for people, right? Like category design didn't really land until we wrote the book. You know, I've been doing this for 25 years by the time we wrote the book. And I would say my batting average was probably 200 in terms of getting people to get what the fuck it was, why it mattered, the meaningful, unfair, competitive. It's like knowing it's like having a superpower the other side doesn't even understand. Mm -hmm. And when you know how to execute that superpower, you can really make billions and billions and billions of dollars happen in a sustainable, enduring way, right? It's a very powerful skill set. And yet it was incredibly hard for to get it to land. And so to your point, Eric, yeah, some of the stories or analogies and certainly themes and kind of mantras got to be that way because it took fucking 25 years to figure <laughs> out what it was and how to make other people get it. And in a very real way, I mean, you know, when you said what you said about Play Bigger, what you should know about that and why I'm so grateful you feel that way and were kind enough to tell me is Play Bigger was my last ditch attempt. I was like, listen, I'm going to try one more time to get the world to get this at scale. And if they don't, I'm just going to be the crazy old uncle in the corner mumbling to himself and drooling on himself, <laughs> drinking Jack Daniels, smoking pot, who had an idea once, right? Or the world was going to get it. But like this, after that, this, I fucking give up. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's actually your dyslexia. It's your superpower. And I, I'm going to draw an analogy. I love doing that, but I'm partially colorblind. And I walk around with my wife all the time, and she loves pointing at things saying, what color is that? What color is that? <laughs> and, well, you know, I'll describe it, and it, it, it's a rare colorblindness. It's a the uh, yellow-blue colorblindness. It's like the rarest of the rare. But I just don't see the color. So I'll be like, I don't know, aqua, teal. You know, I kind of learn the ones that are in between. But I have a tough time describing what I see. And I feel like your dyslexia, you're having to constantly shift the world around you to make it fit or make sense. Yes, that, that's exactly it. Yes, Eric. And you know what it's like? Remember that um, um, Bruce Willis movie, I See Dead People? Mm -hmm. Six Sense. What was that movie? Six Sense. Six Sense, thank you. It's like that. Well, hey, don't you see everybody? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Like, And we describe it in the book, Category Design is a new lens on business. And the cool thing is once you have the lens, you see categories everywhere. Right. And what I took out of that, because it's always about me is what I've been trying to do with this show. And I feel like your book is a godsend because I'm trying to figure something out, but I don't quite know how to describe it or if I'm completely off my rocker. Yes. And I know. Yes. And, and that's how every category designer, every natural innovator who's trying to bring something, and I'm going to use this word on purpose, different to the world has this fucking struggle. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of, you know, how I feel my show is. It yeah. is. It's not. I'm trying to redefine the interview. 
if that makes sense, because I'm not specifically a conversation show or dialogue show. I do the work, I do research, and I am actually interviewing, but yet I'm not a traditional interview. I have it to where I have a list, like with you, I have 22 questions. Right. We'll go down a blind path like we did earlier. None of that was in here. We started talking about pay, uh, Facebook and privacy, and I want to get back to that. I, that wasn't planned, but I'll happily throw away every question I have to chase the right. trail. You know what? I'm the, So who knows whether this is right, but there's I think there's a little something to the blink theory, You know, the first thing that pops into your head. So here's what popped into my head. So um, I would agree that you are certainly much more an interviewer than I am because I don't do any of that. I do – a lot of prep, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm having a conversation. I throw out all my notes. I throw out all my prepared thought. I throw it all out the window the minute we start. Um, so you and I are different. Um, uh, so maybe what you are, but, but however, you are not a, um, I forget the guy's name now, but the guy that did, uh, actor studio where he asked oh, every actor all the same James, questions. Um, oh, yeah. Something or another. You know, there's there's a lot of people like that. And there's I know you guessed on podcasts. I guessed on podcasts and there's many podcasts where they say, OK, well, we always wrap by asking the same four questions or whatever the fuck yeah. it is at the end. The right. Tim so Paris there's speed round or <laughs> whatever it is. Right. There are these formulaic things they do, which, listen, I understand why they're there and they they're not. I'm not always critical of them. They're not really my thing. But, you know, some of them work. I'm So but anyway, long story longer. Maybe what you are is a conversational interview. Could be. Something like you're, you're a hybrid, right? You're somewhere in between me, which is on the extreme of conversation. And, you know, let's I'll pick one I like. Terry Gross, who's, I would say, on the st- extreme of interviewer. Yes. So she does her homework. She's got her questions. She's going to get those questions done. And there's going to be a flow, right? Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. Um... And I, by the way, I love her. And I don't think anybody's... I don't really like interviews anymore, but I still enjoy listening to her. She's a pro. <laughs> yeah. Top of the game. Yeah. I mean, some of it, and this is what I appreciate in your book too, is I'm doing what feels comfortable to me. This feels yes. like my path, my natural path. I yes. don't feel comfortable trying to go one way or go another. Um, and early on, I did make it a point of kind of kissing the guest's ass. Yes, me too. And I've gotten out of that now, and I'll kind of argue with them a little bit if I if I hear something that doesn't sound right. And a lot of times it's because I enjoy being proven wrong. I'm twisted. <laughs> but I honestly get But it's lessons. also, look, it's I do it all the time. Uh, I think maybe I was too laudatory to some of the guests, but I, I was never that concerned with saying, well, hey, Eric, let, let me push on you a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um and, and get into it with people a little bit. Now that said, I made this decision. I'd be curious where you are on it. Um, I, I wasn't going to have people on and argue with them. No, and I wasn't going to have people on. I don't like, or people who wanted to come on and argue with me, um, that the, the true North was going to be, am I dying to have a conversation with this person? And if, if I am, then let's have the podcast. And if I'm not, you know, like I've had people who disagree with me about category design who think right. it's bullshit. Right. And they want to come on and debate me about it. And I said, look, I don't mind debating you about it in some other forum. 
Right. It's just not my podcast because I, I, I don't want to. I'm not dying to have that conversation. If you really want to have it, I'm going to make you look really bad. But all right. But I don't want to do it on my podcast. <laughs> no, I totally agree. It, I, um, the other analogy I always bring up with my show is like think of it as an idea pub. Yeah, great. I literally want to be sitting across the table. And the thing is, you brought up the uh, publish analogy, too. So there's so many parallels in there. And that's why I get excited. Uh, good. I could talk to you and I could talk shop and I could talk categories yeah. <laughs> and I get all this rolled into one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cornucopia of it. <laughs> exactly. The uh, what is it? AD and D. ADD theater, you said, or ADHD theater? Yeah, ADHD theater. <laughs> Or ACDC theater or something like that. There you go. Rock and roll. Yeah. I was going to start off and have you uh, do Hey Ho. <laughs> hey Ho, let's go. I, I love yeah. your delivery on that. That cracks Thank me. Thank you. It's a, a perfect droll delivery <laughs> of a rock song, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and on that note, another thing I really get a kick out of on your show is how you run out of time for people. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the end, Eric. Uh, that's awesome. That's how I know if people are really listening to the whole podcast. But yeah, I was inspired. Um, so Jimmy Kimmel, if you notice, at the end of every one of his episodes, he apologizes to Matt Damon, who's his friend, mm. and says, sorry, Matt, we just ran out of time for you. Okay. And so... I'm not anywhere near a nice a person as Jimmy Kimmel. And so I thought what I would do is I would have a little fuck you go under the bus um, to somebody who I either personally know and have a, uh, let's just say, disagreement with or um, maybe a more public person who I think is generally um, either an asshole or doing something shitty. <laughs> and so at the very end of every episode – um, that's the person. So right now, for example, the person I've been running out of time for, for the last handful of episodes is, I think his name is Richard C. Kelly, and he's the chairman of Pacific Gas and Le Electric. That's right. And, uh, and what's the story? Sorry, Dick, we just ran out of time for you. Well, the story is this. PG&E has been the cause of a handful of these major fires in California for the last few years. Mm. And they have been therefore at cause in the death of uh, many and of the destruction of much. And they're being sued left, right, and center. And in the beginning, they denied and, you know, they've just, they've been far from cooperative. Well, now the lawsuits have caught up to them and they're bearing down on them. So uh, Dick and his board decided um, they were going to go bankrupt. Hmm. So they're going to screw all these people whose lives they've already, um, you know, certainly damaged and in some cases severely, uh, severely damaged and in some cases were the cause of their death. They're going bankrupt rather than trying to do something honorable and come to some kind of settlement that would make sense to both sides. No, they're just going to go bankrupt. I'm sure they'll get their bonus. So, yeah, exactly. And so uh, he goes under the bus <laughs> right now. <laughs> I like to throw uh, the Kardashians under there from, from well, time to time. Easy, and though. Um, a big, yeah. uh, your big favorite, I think, is Bill McDermott. Yeah, Bill McDermott from SAP. He's the CEO of SAP, and uh, I'm not book. a fan. Yeah, we throw him under the bus in the book too. Because <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. You had a top uh, ten list, literally 
10 reasons to not read the book. And number 10 was if you work for SAP. Yeah. And did you read the footnote? I did not because I did audiobooks, which, by the way, I would love uh, to listen to niche down. It's weird you know. that uh, somebody who does podcasting <laughs> and is a dyslexic, um, which means it has reading problems, doesn't have an audiobook. It's it's scandalous, Eric. It's 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 a disgrace. <laughs> it actually is. It's a disgraceful, scandalous act of massive losery. I can, no, it really is. I could even introduce you to a narrator if you didn't want to do it. You know, I just have to do it, don't I? You really do. I, so here's what the short story of why it's not there. I did it my way, um, which was I kind of had a lot of fun with it, and I added some value and shit. <laughs> I would read a really great line, and I'd say something like, Heather, Heather wrote that one. You can tell, can't you? And then I'd keep reading. Do it. <laughs> you know, do st- that. stuff like that. And then I went to submit it to Amazon, and it turns out um, Audible won't accept that. Publish it yourself. You can put it up on your site, and you can sell it outright. Uh, Daniele Bolelli, who I've had on here, he does um, History on Fire. Yeah. He did his own audiobook. He just sells it off his site. Well, here's what I was thinking of doing. Because now I um, want it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, so do I. So here's what I was thinking of doing. I thought, you know what? I Fuck it. Maybe I just drop it as a podcast. You could. Right? Just break it into 30-minute segments and drop it as a podcast. You could do that or you could – like I said, I will happily buy it. Put it on your site. Um, open a Patreon. Put it on Patreon. People who donate yeah, to Patreon. Yeah, that's interesting too. I guess we could put – we could do a we could do a Patreon and that way you could buy it or not buy it or – Right. That's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that, Eric. Yeah, it's a good bonus for the people who donate to you. Yeah, maybe we could do something charitable too. Yeah, either way, get it to us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of stupid, isn't it? Well, and, I, and you know, I I get an email a week <laughs> from somebody. And it's terrible. Uh, I, it was just my my heart was sort of broken after I did it, and I couldn't psych myself up to do it the normal way the second time around. You know what I mean? No, you have the files, and I will tell you that that's not true. What they said, Adam Carolla reads asides all the time and he goes off the the rails in his own books. Bert Kreischer goes off the rails in his own books. So maybe I could do it. I think And maybe I would do it as both. Maybe I'd do it as a pod if 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 they'll accept it in my um you know sort of I don't know, what would I call it? The editor's cut sort of thing. <laughs> there you go. You could sell it as a you could say it as abridged. Yeah. Because technically it's a bridge niche down a, sort of. Yeah. You niche down, niche down. You know, you, it's I, I pirated my own book. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> niche down the pirate version. I think that's awesome, man. And seriously, maybe that's what I'll do. Push it out there. That's and bring up. That's Carola. what I'll do. He's on Audible. Bring up Burt Kreischer. He's on Audible, and tell him uh, you guys can make this work. Yeah, and maybe we'll just call it. We'll just give it a slightly different name, and then it'll be yeah, it'll be niche down. Uh, you know. The pirate Unabridged version. or pirate, pirate version. Pirated, because your first book was about pi- um, pirates. Or yeah, pirates. Yeah, so maybe that's what we do. It's the pirated version. That's a great idea, Eric. You've given me hope now. I can. I have a place to I have a place to go. Well, more importantly, I can get the damn book. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think you'll like it. It's really fun. You know, it's um, so it's category design. Um, but if if Play Bigger was pointed out what you could lovingly refer, refer to as big E entrepreneurs, you know, that is to say, come to California, Silicon Valley, 
raise a couple hundred million bucks from top tier venture capitalists, you know, try to do an unbelievable breakthrough technology business model thing, um, make that thing go big, uh, you know, new category, dominate the category, take the economics, get public and become the next Cisco, Oracle, Google, Facebook, Snapchat, WhatsApp, et cetera. Right. So that's that's one game. And that's really more who play biggers for, you know, so lovingly referred to as a biggie entrepreneur. Sure. Um, the number one question I got about the book was, hey, does this apply to small business? And so niche down is for small entrepreneurs, for family businesses, for solo hot dog stands, things like that. Yeah. And, and there's a lot. And then the other thing is. As much as people love the research in, in Play Bigger, and they absolutely did, and we wrote an HBR article about it, and so there's some really substantive shit in there. Um, the number one thing people said they loved, they connected to, was you know maybe I shouldn't be as surprised about this as I as I was, but was this was the were the stories, and so in Niche Down, it's just jammed full of these incredible stories about uh, small entrepreneurs and how they created a new category of. You know, um, uh, 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 what's her name? Debbie Sterling, who created um, uh, Goldie Blocks, the first STEM toys for girls, right? Whole new category. The entire industry said it wouldn't work. And she said it makes no sense that all the science, technology, engineering, and math toys are, go- are you know, boy-oriented. Where's the girl shit? And so she creates her own company. And, you know, today the Girl Scouts of America have STEM badges uh, as a result of her work, right? And so, and we chronicle all of those, that we chronicle legendary pizza shops and legendary restaurants that, you know, these guys in New York who started, they wanted a, a dive bar that had, uh, you know, vintage rock, old school video games, and good burgers and beers. That's what they wanted. So they didn't just start a bar. They started a new category of bar. They, and today they, they describe themselves as the world's first arcade bar, and they tied their brand to their category. Category being arcade bar, brand being barcade. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And now there's seven or eight of them, and they're kicking ass. And, you know, you can go play fucking stand-up Pac-Man and eat a good burger and <laughs> draft beer. Nice and chill out. No, that's yeah, and and it's a perfect timing for that. I mean, we have all the breweries everywhere. And I think, I think you've brought up the example before too that, um, you went by and saw a brewery and they just had it on the sign brewery, and nothing about their name or anything else. Yeah, the example is actually craft brew. Craft brew. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. No problem. And here, you know, here in uh, my the part of the world that I live in. Uh, in Santa Cruz, California, um, and really all throughout California, this these West Coast IPAs and other sort of um, distinctively West Coast new breweries that have emerged. And uh, the last time this happened, we called them microbrews, and that was probably about 25, 30 years ago. And now we call them craft brews. And um, the the point being, when a new one opens up, they put up a big sign that says craft brews and then a smaller sign that says the name of the place <laughs> because, you know, it's like we have the same thing with coffee. I'm friends with the guys who uh, founded and run uh, one of the premier um, craft coffees on the West Coast, the guys at Verve Coffee. The same thing happened there where uh, sort of a distinctive West Coast, more artisan type approach emerged and it's kind of a new subcategory gets created. 
um, and, and distinguishes itself. Uh, and so the interesting thing is once you see this happening, these entrepreneurs intuitively understand the categories taking off and what they're doing is they're attaching their brand to the category. And that's why when they put up the sign, it says craft brews and then it says Eric and Christopher's underneath that. Just like you, if, if you notice, every dentist in the country does this. There's a big sign that says dentist and then underneath it, it says Eric Hunley DDS. Right, right. So they're, they're saying, hey, I'm this category and I'm this dude, this brand. Hmm. I, I appreciate the fact, too, and I guess it's um, from all your experience of the 30 years of trying to get a message across and people not understanding, you mentioned a lot of people are intuitive category designers. Yeah. Versus, you know, they don't even know what they're doing, per se. Yeah, the people who don't know what they're doing fall into the competition trap. And the best analogy I've ever found for this is um, – do you remember the movie Something About Mary? Yes. Yes. I have so there's this great work. scene, right? It's one of those movies that if it if it's on TV, you're just going to watch it. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> At least I am. <laughs> anyway, there's a scene in the movie where um, um, uh, what's the lead dude's name? Uh, ben um, Stiller. Stiller, thank you. Stiller's driving and he picks up a serial killer psycho guy played by Harlan Williams. And it's a hysterical scene. And they're in the car and they start talking and, and Stiller asks Williams, uh, he says, hey, uh, you know, so, you know, kind of what's your plan? Like, how are you going to make it work in life? And and Williams says, uh, well, you know, that mo- that uh, infomercial um, eight minute abs, I'm going to do seven minute abs. And <laughs> Stiller says, oh, yeah, OK, that's interesting. He says, well, um, what happens when someone does six minute abs? <laughs> and, and Williams. Yeah, Right, his head explodes. He's like he starts convulsing, right? <laughs> and so as as ludicrous as that sounds, that's what most fucking businesses are doing. They're playing seven minute abs. They're playing a my pizza tastes better than your pizza. They're playing a uh, our accountants are friendlier than their accountants, right? Watch any um local car dealership ad. They're just having a price and availability conversation. And sometimes they say, oh, and we have great service too. They, they're completely fucking interchangeable. And that's why, that's why they get no premium for anything. That's why it's just a transaction, right? Because they've made the business indistinguishable. Nobody's different. And so when there's no differentiation, what happens? We go to features and price. That's what we go to. Oh, you're closer to me. Okay, good. I like that. <laughs> so if you're if you're the same price as the guy that's further than me, okay, now now do I have parity on service? Okay, great. So you're a little closer to me and you're the same price and you're the same service. Okay, fine. Right? There's no fucking differentiation. And so that's why most companies are in a race to the bottom. They're in a mindless fucking competition. That's not what Steve Jobs does. That's not what Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, did. They create a whole new way of looking at things. Spanx could have been a girdle 2.0. True. What made, what made Sarah a billionaire is she said, no, it's not a product. It's an invention. And it's a new category. And that category is called shapewear. And shapewear is completely different 
than a girdle. True. Now, would it be fair to say that the category may not be immediately clear and you kind of have to flail around a little bit to figure out where you fit in or what exactly you're doing? And I'll hold you up as an example. I mean, your show was Legends and Losers. Yeah. And very recently, you've completely um, you're rebranding and it's Follow Your Different. Yeah. What was yeah, the so I, idea? Well, I think, um, I think A, success is about failing in the right direction. Uh, and B, in, the, in our case, um, a couple things happen. Um, the first is, as, um, as I will always be fascinated with this, this sort of, um, path from loser to legend, right? We all start off as a white belt. We all start off at whatever endeavor as a beginner. And by definition, we fail a shit ton, right? And it's, you know, it's only by falling down does the child learn to walk, right? And the child falls down a zillion times, right? And that's, that just plays out throughout our life. And so, however, when most successful people talk about whatever their, their journey, their thing, whatever it is, somehow a lot of that gets left out. <laughs> and so that's a, I will have you heard be, of survivor bias? Uh, no, educate me. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, survivor bias. Oh, is, interrupt me. <laughs> survivor <laughs> bias is like, um, a good example is we, I used to always think that everybody was tiny. And part of the reason for this is whenever you are like, let's say an antique store or thrift shop or whatever, you'll notice it's always little shoes, little clothes that are, you know, from that time period. Mm -hmm. Well, that gives us the impression that, oh, everybody is small. But in fact, they were maybe an inch shorter than we were on average, maybe two, not that much. But the problem is, just like we have now, in a family, you have one little tiny person. That person's clothes didn't get handed down to their siblings because nobody else could fit in them. Therefore, those clothes lasted a long time. Kind of like you always see small <laughs> stuff on a clearance rack, right? So we have this bias and we see who survived or what survived. And that colors our vision. So if I yeah. was going to color my vision, every podcaster should be Jordan Harbinger and uh, Tim Ferriss and Christopher Lockhead. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I, what, what's, of course, crazy about that is the reason Jordan Harbinger is Jordan Harbinger is because he's fucking Jordan Harbinger. Mm -hmm. He's not like anyone else. And I've had the pleasure of getting to know him over the last couple of years and spending some time with him. And um, the guy the guy you listen to uh, two or three times a week on the podcast is the guy you meet in person and then some. He's, he's fantastic. Um, and uh, I'm a huge fan of the show. And he's he's like you a little bit in that um, he's very conversational and yet there is an interview quality to what he's doing. And so he's somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah, but there's it's but but you have a, a very authentic experience of a fucking conversation like, you know, you're, you've gotten something very real. It's you're you're not you're not getting the collision of talking points and pre can questions you get something much more valuable. And I think that's the magic of Jordan. But he, you can tell he's not pretending to be somebody else. No, he's also a good educator. 
I, he adds that, that last element in there that he's always pushing some sort of a takeaway or lesson in every episode. Yeah. He nets it out for you pretty much at the beginning. Right. Yep. yep. Um, and he has worksheets and, and things like that. So I admire the hell out of all that. Yeah. There's, um, he's doing something that is aimed at being more practical than what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so I'm on your side of the pub. probably to my detriment and maybe to yours too, Eric, but, uh, people probably. like practical, um, uh, and the interesting thing is Jordan can be uh, cerebral and sort of thought provoking and yet somehow give you a worksheet <laughs> that makes some fucking sense about whatever it was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, he's an amazing guy. So what is coming up for Christopher Lockett besides the audiobook? Yeah, well, now I got to get I got to get that whole thing put together. So there's that. Um, <laughs> I, and. You know, I just continue to um, have amazing conversations and uh, I, you know, I have loved being in this podcast world. Um, and, uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, the thing that I didn't get would was how cool it was to uh, how cool it was going to be to interact with readers and listeners. Um, I'll tell you, it's a crazy experience when you do a book signing and people wait for half an hour to meet you. Um, it's a crazy experience when somebody comes up behind you in line at the coffee shop and says, excuse me, I, uh, I couldn't help but notice, are you Christopher Lockett? You know, because <laughs> they listen to the podcast and they hear me talking. You know, those are weird experiences um, and flattering ones. And, you know, the emails and the tweets and all that stuff, It's that's really fun. And so I have enjoyed that more than I ever could have imagined. I, I, I thought that would be a pain in the ass <laughs> and it's a little hard to keep up sometimes, but, um, it's really fun. It's really cool. I think you have the right amount of celebrity though, Tori, you're podcast famous. You're not like, um, Kanye West famous, Kardashian famous, or, you know, the Thank hardcore God. celebrity, because that's what I'm sure you were visualizing as being a pain. It's like. No, these people are, especially podcast listeners, we all tend to be very introverted, a lot of us, um, very devoted kind of people. It, um, as a fan, I'm sure you almost feel like your family to some of these podcasters, even though you've Yeah, I mean, them. absolutely. I mean, I'm a huge podcast uh, super consumer, and so I don't listen to Mark Marin. I fucking know Mark Marin <laughs> and Mark and I are buddies and we hang out once or twice a week. And yeah, Mark Marin's a buddy of mine. Right. Um, and so I understand that. And, um, and the, and the weird thing though, is being on the other side of it, right? The strange thing, I'm sure you have this experience. Um, and I had a listener explain this to me once and he said, look, I want you to know I'm not crazy. I know you don't know me, but I know you exactly. and how it is for me is you and I are friends and we drink scotch and we drink <laughs> beer and we have these conversations with people and we laugh and we say stupid shit and, and we have these mind blowing conversations and we do that a couple times a week and it's really cool. And he said, I want you to know that's how it is for me. And he says, I know you don't know me, but, and so what I've learned is, um, uh, it's my job to get caught up to where they are because 
if they do listen, they do know the show. I don't, I'm not, or they do know me because it's not a show, right? I'm not like, I, I don't play myself on TV. <laughs> right. It's an appointment almost. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I'm not a character. Oh, right? no, no. So no. if they listen to the podcast, then that's you. They, we are friends. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the, that's the incredible part. And that's a perfect place to put a pen in it. Um, Lockhead.com. Is that the best yeah. place everybody can go? Yeah. Two H's, no K. And you're also on Twitter as um, at Lockhead? Yep. And Instagram at Lockhead. Ah, I got to look all these up because I will be tagging you. I'll be one of those annoying people. <laughs> hey, anyway, this has been awesome. I mean, I've really been looking forward to it. You completely delivered as I expected. And... I want to thank you so much. Well, thank you, Eric. I really, um, you're very, you're very fucking earnest. And in a world of bullshit, you know, my buddy, Eric Weinmeyer, who, if you haven't had on, maybe, maybe I can introduce you. He's the first blind guy to summit Everest. Oh, wow. Tom knows him. Tom represents him. That's how I met him. Hmm. Okay. And, uh, he said to me, the world doesn't need more bullshit. <laughs> True. Yeah. And so I really appreciate what you do, and I really appreciate you having me on. And thank you so much for your words about Play Bigger, man. It's, it, I'm blown away. Cups in the heart, man. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please check out unstructuredpod.com. There you can find all the episodes, free subscription information, and most of the players, and even how to contact me. I would love to hear from you. You can even set up a 15-minute call with me about the show or anything you like. Again, it's at unstructuredpod.com, and I hope to hear from you. Now, in the spirit of sharing, here are other shows you may want to consider checking out. Thanks again. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.